We're going to do a Facebook a few minutes to push this out, then I'll start. Hello, Linda. You're our first attender today. Thanks for being here. All right. Hi, Kay. Glad you're here. The rest of you. I'm going to go ahead and start. Hello, Connie. <clears throat> I appreciate you being here today. Uh, I'm uh, continuing our study on the book of Romans. Uh, most of you have my translation book. If you don't, I encourage you to order it because it will help you go through this. Uh, we're in uh, letter number two. And that'll be chapter three of my book. And those of you that uh, received my transcripts, I made a mistake and I put Romans 2, 5 through 6, but it's Romans 2, 1 through 6 that we're going to go through. So <clears throat> I will recorrect that on the transcript and upload it today. But uh, So what, I'll just go ahead and start teaching this from verse 1. Uh, what I put on Facebook, I'm going to be teaching today how to free yourself from self-condemnation. And the truth is, is how to free yourself from the cause of self-condemnation. Because... As long as we allow the cause to be there, we're going to continue and condemn ourselves for things, which it's the, we don't need to. And, but we know that was the problem from the foundation of the world. So in verse 1 of Romans chapter 2, it says, Therefore they had no defense or excuse. The people lived as mere humans, or I would put earthbound or hewn down, condemning others and in their intensification of deciding against one another's. They made decisions against themselves since they did the same things for which they condemned others. And so people that preach and teach and declare things that cause condemnation, it brings it upon themselves too. And I want to show you that today. Hi, Sandra, Marcia. So what happens when one makes a decision based uh, upon carnal knowledge and carnal understanding? Well, what happens is a phase of judgment faculty in the individual takes over and they live based on judgment or other information other than spiritual truth. You can see that uh, as you, you know, in the world, as you deal with people, you can see that on Facebook. <clears throat> there are so many people that go by the name of Christian, but they condemn others for their actions and they condemn others for breaking what they think to be laws that they had to follow. And there was a man named Bildad, the Shuite, and he was in Job 2.1. He was Job's, uh, one of Job's three friends. And Bildad stands for the intellect's love for reasoning, for contending, and for striving, uh, and that which appears to be correct in its judgments. In other words, it's always trying to correct somebody. And that's what he was there for, the striving and wrong decisions. Uh, it lowers your... Uh, it depletes your vital sources, if you would. And he was there to try to correct or to bring Job to a right place in his life. And in doing that, he condemned him. And so as the lowering this vitality takes place, uh, you enter into a depressed and sad state of consciousness, and it becomes evident in a person's life. So Bildad's name means son of contention or son of strife, and that's what he was doing. Are producing. So when Bildad came to see Job in this affliction, he took upon an argument of self-effort again to set him right. And in a sense, that's almost what religiosity does, is they try to set you right, and most of their sermons become some kind of argument or some kind of 
a rule or, or lecture on things that you have to do to set yourself aright. And all that does is causes self-condemnation because you agree with it. There's things that's going on in your life that you think condemns you. And then you try to deal, that, uh, deal with that yourself. So the teachers of religiosity and their followers are big time promoters of do to be laws. And so you, when you sit under teaching after teaching after teaching, month after month, all your life and you're hearing what you need to do to be better, and then you recognize there's something in your life that's keeping you or you think it's keeping you from being better, then again, you self-condemn yourself. You beat yourself up. And what's wrong, they, they do not know what awareness they are of, if you would. In Scripture, Jesus said you don't know what spirit you're of, but he was talking about awareness. And these people that came after him, came after other people, their awareness was after the Mosaic Law, uh, the do-to-be laws. And so the week of this writing, which is this week, or this teaching that I'm doing today in America, <clears throat> there was a 50-year-old uh, Roe versus, uh, Ro versus Wade ruling was overturned by the Supreme Court, which happens to be the highest ruling uh, branch of our government. And I was amazed and I was saddened to see posts made by Christians. They go by the name Christian, and yet they posted horrible things. And one man said, babies will live, but how many of them are predestined to God to go to hell? And that's his belief system. Where does that come from? That comes from feeding on the knowledge of good and evil. And so the person does not speak for our father. And I even wrote that on there. I just, I couldn't help it. But I said, sir, you do not speak for father. Those, that voice is the voice of religiosity. And I told him I was sad that he believes such a thing. But it hurts to read things like that. that and, you, and you know where it's coming from. You know that they are, their, they are of their father, the law. They are the father of whatever religion that they've grown up in. So this man embraced his beliefs by feeding on those type of teachers. And apart from father's decision... Apart from Father's decree and Father's declarations, all other decrees and decisions produce terrible outcomes, and they have. And I believe that most, most, <clears throat> most founding fathers, if you would, of, of religion, they really knew, did not know Father's decree and his decision. They did not know that Father decreed from the foundation of the world that we were all sons and daughters of God. There wasn't just one Jesus. We all are sons and daughters of God. They either did not know or they did not care. But I think basically most of them in our recent thousand or two thousand years didn't know. They went because religion didn't let them know. And then it continues in verse two. <clears throat> it says, moreover, we are aware that one of the righteous decisions and decrees of Father was made from the foundation of the world. His decree was, if you feed on the teaching of the knowledge of good and bad, and so doing, you will self-condemn yourself with a false sense of being cut off from your holy breath. And, and what that was is he said, you shall die. Well, that means you die in your awareness. You die in your awareness of Father, and you die in your awareness of who you are. And so this, this, this produces a dying, and it says, basically, you shall exist as dead. They were not physically dead. They were only dead in their awareness. So according to this truthful decree, the consequences were against them and their debased practices, which they performed repeatedly and habitually. They followed the ways of the flesh. They went to the 
the, the, the realm of the dust realm, if you would, for pleasure or whatever. And it always brought them condemnation because they knew within side of them that that did not fit their character and that was not who, who they were. So there was a self-condemnation in there. And that's why the first race of Adam said, I'm naked. I've lost your life. Then it says, verse 3, those who decided against one another should have taken inventory of the lives of the others and also their own lives. Did they think they would escape the effect of the consequences? Because when you judge people, you condemn people, then there are consequences. When you're always trying to improve yourself to please God, there's consequences. There's nothing wrong with improving yourself. There's nothing wrong with, with feeding uh, on uh feeding on the truth to improve yourself. But if you're trying to do it to please God, then you're wrong. And Karen just said, I've been reading Romans, but it's so negative. Well, don't read that translation. Get my translation. <laughs> It'll help you. <clears throat> so last night, as I was studying, I was thinking of Abel. Abel's brother, Cain. Uh, it's actually spelled K-A-I-N. But it means, his name means possession, it means acquisition. It means which draws to himself, to its center, and selfishness. So Cain represents a dust dweller, represents people that is all about themselves, and they're always trying to get things for themselves. Cain refers directly to that part of that human-minded conscious that strives to acquire and strives to possess, not knowing that it already has all things that pertains to life and godliness. And haven't most of us been there a lot of our life? We were giving to get. We were serving to get. We were serving to please God. You know, I grew up in a church was always about if you give enough, you're going to be able to drive nice Mercedes and all these things. And it's that same personality right there, that way of living. And what's interesting to me is he was a toiler of the soil. What does the soul represent? What does the soul make you think of? Remember the name, Donnie, do you remember uh, the, the name of the Canaanites, what they really meant? Dust dwellers, right? right. Dust dwellers. So, it means that they're more in an earthly dominion. They do all their toil in the earth. They're, it's all carnal. The Philistines. The Philistines. Now, Philistines, excuse me. And Canaanites means the same thing. So, Cain spiritually pictures the physical body, if you would. Paul would call him the flesh. So, Cain's slaying of Abel represents the killing of the body selfishness, if you would. When the body demands possession of all resources, it reduces existence to basically a material living. When all we think about is having this and having that, then basically uh, you're like that Madonna, that song, I'm a material girl. You know, you become a material person and you're after that. And even when you go to your churches, you're still thinking materiality. You're thinking, you know, if I please God, I can have this, I can have that, whatever, whatever it would be. So when the selfishness of the body has killed the, the impulse of the soul, which is spiritual, then it declines to this material existence and it loses all hope of higher understanding and higher desires. Because my desires are spiritual desires today. And I know your desires are too. And so what takes place then, there's no more pleasure in living. How many believers if you would, believers in religi religiosity have much pleasure in their life, are really, really, really happy. They may say they are, but they're not. Because if you're not seeking out your spiritual truth and spiritual things, there's nothing in the carnal world that satisfies you whatsoever. And so there's little sensation and there's little progress. And so Cain does till the ground, but what happens? 
it yields nothing to him, right? And most of our life, when we've tilled the, the earth for our life, it really has yielded really no pleasure. My cars don't bring me pleasure. My house doesn't bring me real pleasure. I'm thankful for them. But the only thing that brings me pleasure is the one that's the lover of my soul, and that's my father. My father brings me pleasure. Knowing who I am and knowing who you are brings me great pleasure. Knowing the truthful word brings me great pleasure. So there are many people who for their lifetime have tilled the soil of religiosity and they brought forth nothing but doctrines, if you would. The Isaiah says that we have been like a woman travailing to give birth, but all we've done is brought forth winds, and those winds mean winds of doctrines. And doctrine has no spiritual power whatsoever. So the body of the ground tiller, again, dust dweller, Canaanites, feels its degradation, and those who get into this degenerate condition are usually miserable. And that's why we see people, like I told you about the man that talked about the babies that are not aborted, they're, in, they're going to go to hell anyways. You, to talk that way, you're a miserable person. I'm talking about your feelings, not, not judging you, but you're miserable. You're, you, you have no peace. You have no understanding of who our Father is, that none of this comes from God whatsoever. Father has never condemned anybody to hell because there's no such thing as a physical hell. Hell is what goes on right here on earth. Hell is not living out of your oneness with your Father, your knowledge of your Father. And so the Lord, or our divine line, has fixed a limit to this, and we are warned not, basically not to destroy the body. And to me, that's a picture why Father uh, put the mark on physically, the physical picture of Cain. It's because no matter how bad he was, God did not want him to be destroyed. No matter how deep we get into carnal things, Father God has no judgment on us, but righteous and holy, and Father wants to lift us out of that. <clears throat> so, I was thinking about Jesus' ministry last night, and how he said he had compassion. He always had compassion over people, and it's written that he had great compassion on all the people that surrounded him. And so I went to Matthew 9, 36, which is the first place that uses the word compassion in the New Testament. And we read, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. In other words, having no awareness of father. And Jeremiah said, I will give you pastors after my awareness. It says heart, but it means awareness. And then in chapter 14, 14, it says, And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. What were they sick of? Not just their physical sick, but there was a sickness called a mistaken identity. And that's what he wanted to heal the people from. And I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. But th that Greek word uh, for that word sick means infirmity. Well, what's man's infirmity? They don't know who they are, Right. And they're always trying to, to fix themselves, and then they end up self-condemning. And if you self-condemn yourself, that is an infirmity. And what's interesting to me is Jesus looked out and saw the multitude, saw all this stuff that was going on. Rather than condemning them, what did he do? He had compassion upon them. And that's what we have to do with people. You know, I, I, use, I hear a lot of people talk about how people are evil and they look at certain circumstances. But I'm telling you, I'm in the place today when I look at them, yes, I see what they've done. Yes, I think it's really horrible, but I have compassion on them because that's not who they are. We had a woman here in Oklahoma City, a grandma that was raising her grandkids, too much pressure on her. 
and right in our neighborhood, she killed her three-year-old child. And people are thinking how horrible and evil she is, but the first thought to me that came is she was mentally ill. Something that was going on in her life caused this to happen. And so, you know what? I can have compassion on her. I can pray for her. She's going to be going to prison. Uh, but I, 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 I can have compassion because something came into her life, some kind of pressure came to her that caused her to do that. And I do not call that evil. I just say it was bad. She did something bad, but we've got to understand the cause of it. And that's what I'm doing here is I want to talk to you today about not getting rid of your self-condemnation, but getting rid of the cause of self-condemnation, right? It's just like sickness and disease. Most of the time, doctors are dealing with the symptoms and they're not dealing with the cause because they're not allowed to in their system. So again, when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion and yes, he healed them of their sickness, but his ministry was to heal them of their infirmity, which was they didn't know who they were. So the real infirmity when embracing the Mosaic law and the mistaken identity was the consequences of trying to please Father. One of the first things you've got to do, hi Kathy, the first thing that we've got to do is stop trying to please our Father. And most of my life in Christianity, I was always trying to please God, and many times I did not feel like I was very pleasing. So when I didn't feel like I was very pleasing to Father, then what did I do? I condemned myself. I blamed all the bad things that happened in my life because I'm not pleasing to the Father, or I'm not giving enough tithe, or whatever the list goes on and on, and we've got to stop that. And again, the word compassion came from the New Testament 4697 word, and it's really interesting, if you're taking notes, it's, it's spelled A-P-L-A-G-C-H-N-I-Z-O-M-A-I. And my, daughter, my wife will give you $100 if you can pronounce that. <laughs> the pronunciation, in my understanding, is Splanga Nid Zomahi. And it means to have the bowels to yearn. That's what it means, to have the bowels, the very inward part of you yearning for those people. The Bible says that Jesus looked at Jerusalem. What did he do? He wept because he was sad. He came to help them. He came to bring them the living word, and yet they, they uh, wouldn't listen to him. Michael just wrote the sacrifice of something. That's true. We've got to stop doing that. We don't have to sacrifice praise. We don't have to sacrifice anything to please Father. So in the awareness of Father, the awareness of Father exists an eternal tenderness and a mercy for his children. The Bible says in Psalms 145, 8, I was looking at it last night, it says Jehovah is gracious and merciful. Now when we think about merciful, it doesn't mean he's shown us mercy because he should punish us, but that's his nature. And so spiritual compassion is characteristic of love and mercy prompted by an understanding or an awareness. When I can give, when I can project on people what I receive from God, that they have the same thing, then I can be compassionate for them. When I, when I say they're the same as I am, they are righteous, they are holy. That's why I put on my car tag, you are holy. And I'm so much enjoying seeing people look at that and their expressions on their face. And like I said, I would like to be in there hearing what they're thinking, but everybody needs to know that they are holy. So a compassionate awareness sees error, but does not condemn it. Would that be right? I'm compassionate. 
and I see error, but I do not condemn them. I do not say they're going to go to hell for that, or God's going to punish them for that. You know, our hurricane came to New Orleans several years ago and, and uh, religiously infected people said that's God's judgment on them. Well, that's not correct. And so uh, Jesus said, neither do I condemn thee, Go thy way, from henceforth no more live out of mistaken identity. That's in John 8, 11. And, and so he lived out of what he believed. He lived out of who he knew, who he, knew he was. <clears throat> so Father and Jesus and the Apostle Paul, you never saw them condemn people for their mistaken identity or the consequential mark missing. They may have brought something up, but they always gave the answer. But this is not you. This is not who you are. And I looked up Webster on the word condemn, dictionary, and it means to pronounce to be wrong. So when you condemn yourself, you are announcing to yourself that I am wrong, that there's something wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with you. If there's anything wrong, it is our awareness. But that's not who I am. It's my awareness. So there's always a cause for every mental digression and that which would kill the sense-minded man. has its point of departure in the, this line of harmony in the thought of condemnation. When one condemns others, like the man that thinks that babies who live and are not aborted are going to be condemning themselves, condemnation literally is dangerous. It's a dangerous thing because, again, when I condemn others, I condemn myself. Romans 1, 1 through 3 basically explains the consequences of the first race of man's self-condemnation. And sadly, we continue in that same arena ourselves. And I assure you, I was thinking about this yesterday. There is not a pastor. There's not a teacher. There's not a religious professor. There's not a person that, that uses their mouth to declare the word of God with condemnation that they're not condemning themselves because they know inside of them they're doing things that do not represent their true character and nature. Would you agree with that? Every preacher that stands up and teaches the law and brings condemnation, they literally are standing there condemning themselves. And they, they it's in there. They just don't admit it. They don't tell it to other people because they know they're not doing what the law demands what the law demands. But we're not under the law, right? right? We're under the law and the spirit of life. And so we've got to rid ourselves of this self-condemnation. So a religious group who exemplify this condemning nature were the Pharisees. Pharisees are religionists who, who became unbalanced uh, by giving their attention to forms of religious rights. And such persons, what they do is they lose sight of the principle of scripture, the allegorical meaning of scripture, the parabolical meaning of scripture, they lose sight of the spiritual meaning of these symbols that they see, and they just made these symbols physical symbols and not spiritual symbols. They go through these motions of living a spiritual life, but their their living substance is not present. They think they're spiritual because of what they do, correct? And we could go down all the list of the things that they did to me that were very stupid. They were phylacteries on their head, which was a little box, and it had scripture in it, and they had it on their hand. Uh, There was a group of Pharisees that they didn't want to sin uh, by looking at a woman, so they walked around with blindfolds on their 
on the, they did all kinds of silly things to try to show how righteous they were and really it brought no spiritual life to them at all so they go through the motions and i've had times when i uh, uh, attended church services that i sat there sometimes and felt like i'm going through these motions over and over and over and they really were not bringing me any help whatsoever the help i needed to know is everything that I was praying for, everything that I was working for and striving for, I already was and I already had. I never could give them up <clears throat> enough money to get what I already had. But because I thought I had to earn the money by tithing and giving more tithing than the money that I did have didn't go far enough because I, I, I thought that was my supply. I thought how much I got on my paycheck was my supply. But then when we taught and Cape taught first true supply, and then when Father spoke to me way before that, that if I would give up my own abilities, that I would never lack for money the rest of my life, those, those checks did not become my supply. The money that comes in to us today is not my supply. I gave somebody a $100 bill not too long ago, and they told me, oh, no, 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 you need that. And I said, oh, no, there's much more than that. I said, there will always be a $100 bill as I need it. And they looked at me kind of funny, but... But they, they received it. But that's the, that's the place we've got to get to. So <clears throat> the Pharisees did not die. That, that sect did not die when they died 2,000 years ago. There are Pharisees that still live today. In fact, the Pharisees today are more today than there were in the time of Jesus. But they've changed their symbols, if you would. They don't sacrifice the animals and they don't have the the altar to go to and all the stuff that they did back then. But they changed their symbols, standards of life and actions for Western evangelical Christianity people have undergone many, many transformations. The ways of worship has changed and the ways of doing things have changed a lot. But the manifestations in the realm of forms are found everywhere you can go on every side. And so the omnipresent father, our source, God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob is forgotten and there's tens of thousands of symbols of him that are worshiped today. There are saints, the Catholic Church has so many saints, it's unbelievable, and people worship them. Comforter messengers that never wanted to be worshiped were worshiped. Buddha is worshiped, uh, the Hindu gods were worshiped, even Jesus is worshiped, and he never wanted us to bow down and worship him, he was a man. He was a man that never left his original birth state. He was the only one at his time that was in totally in tune with Father God. And I've said this many times, the phrase only begotten means the only one that stayed in its original birth state. And what was the original birth state? He was in perfect contact with Father. All those babies, and thank God, I believe there's gonna be a lot of babies that will not be aborted. I know it's still gonna happen, but all those babies in their mother's womb, they're in contact with Father, and they are birthed in contact with Father. I feel goosebumps on me just thinking about that. But when our children came out, they were in total contact with God. But as time went on, they, they lost their awareness of that because they didn't have parents that could teach them that exactly. And then they begin to be fed religiosity. Then they begin to find out that they're just sinners saved by grace. And the list goes on and on. And they kind of lost their awareness of contact. But my kids know they do today. Thank God I was able to teach them that. So in Mark I'm not going to read it, but Mark 7, 1 through 13, you can look at this and you can see where all these forms of worship and how they change things. Instead of worshiping Father, they worship, worship the symbols, if you would. 
Jesus said the Pharisees made the living word of Father non-effect by what? Their traditions. They had many, many traditions and, and, they, and, and they were delivered, if you would, to the people and the people were taught to follow their traditions. So what is a Pharisee? Well, a Pharisee observes their traditions, uh, if you would. They, they observe the forms, but they neglect the divine spirit. They neglect the divine mind. I was never, for 38 years, actually 48 years, I was never taught that I have a divine mind. I, 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 I was told later on life that, and Brother Garner used to use it, the mind of Christ all the time. And I still didn't understand that because I thought it was saying I had the mind of Jesus. But then I found scripture that says, let this same mind be in you that was in him. And he considered it not robbery to be equal with God, but he humbled himself and made himself a servant to all people. Then I began to realize that it's talking about this same awareness. But where did that awareness come from? It came from, it comes from the divine mind. And then when I realized the word Christ means contact, <clears throat> And I read the scripture that says, we have an unction of the Holy One and we know all things. I was prompted to look up the word unction and the word unction means contact. It's the same thing. The root word cryo means contact. So literally we have an unction. We have contact with, with the divine mind and we always had it, but people didn't know it. And so there's a man named Henry Ward, uh, Ward Betcher. I, I looked this up last night. Uh, when I was searching who Pharisees are and what Pharisees are. And he said, a Pharisee is one who worships instruments. Whoever believes that churches, books, institutions, or customs are more valuable than humanity is a Pharisee. Isn't that amazing? I agree with that so much because Jesus came to rescue humanity. He didn't come to rescue church systems or to build churches. Jesus did not start denominations. Jesus did not stop Christianity. I'm not against people that call themselves Christians, but Jesus came to, to reveal the living word and the abundant life that Father provided for us with the foundation. So the old established religious thoughts belonging to the intellectual domain never miss an opportunity Never miss it a, a reason to dispute the spiritual idea that's presented in their consciousness. It robs us of that. And that's why people have a hard time tapping into the spiritual truth because it's almost like, well, didn't God say this? Or the scripture says this. And I hear this all the time. People write me constantly and they quote the King James Version of the Bible. So what they're doing, it's almost a pharisaical attitude of, of resisting the accurate, the spiritual, the real living word. And so that's, I'm not calling you a Pharisee, but that's a pharisaical thought that's, that f fights the living word inside of you. And we have to put those things down. The thoughts are symbolized by the Pharisees who would keep only the letter of the law. And it's amazing how many people want to throw the law at me. And I, I don't think they know what I teach. I think sometimes people just kind of surf the internet and they'll find somebody's post and they'll read it and then they start, well, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. Well, you're almost being a Pharisee there because you're quoting the written word, which is not the living word. Again, the Bible says that all scripture inspired by God. It does not say all scripture is inspired. They added the word is. All scripture inspired by God is profitable.
And so when the spirit, <clears throat> excuse me, when the spirit of the law of life is appropriately taught, it overthrows the outer forms and ceremonies that belong to the letter of the word. I don't do the things I used to do anymore. If you want to take the communion elements, that's fine. I don't take him. I don't need to take him because I'm one with Father God. I don't take it based on what we were taught that it did. If you want to be baptized uh, uh, in water, go ahead. That's fine. God meets you where you're at. But I don't have to do that. That's, an, that's another form of a law. I don't have to do a lot of things that were taught anymore because I'm living out of who I know I am. So it overthrows those ceremonies that belong to the letter, letter of the law. So therefore, they who are strict in observing the letter usually oppose the spiritual life, law of life. There is a spiritual law of life, but if you're trying to follow the law, then you're opposing that and you're not allowing that life to live through you and in you. <clears throat> so the truth that the higher consciousness awareness constantly brings every part of the individual is missed by this pharisaical phase of consciousness. So I'm just not calling you Pharisees, but I'm saying there is a pharisaical phase of consciousness, which is that what about this, what about that, but this or whatever. So it's resisting the truth. And we've got to lay that stuff down because that's what's causing self-condemnation. People tell me I need to be doing something to please God, then they're condemning themselves because they're not pleasing God that way. You can't please God by doing to be. All you do is bring condemnation to your own life. So the Pharisees are exact in performing every little detail of the religious acts, but they lack love, they lack mercy, and a deeper, higher consciousness of truth. The intellect must be enlightened by contact with Father, that it may be spared from the woes brought upon it by this reaction of condemnation that has been bestowed upon other people. People have condemned themselves so much that they literally take their lives. We hear almost all the time about somebody who has committed suicide. Well, why would they do that? Because they condemn themselves. They see themselves as worthless, and they see that life is not worth living, and that's just not true. And I can hear people say, but Roy, I have things in my life that don't fit who I am. I'm, I'm eating too much ice cream. Well, quit fighting that. You were never told to fight that, because the more you fight it, the more you give it a power. I'm telling you, you know, if you follow me very much, you know I love ice cream. And right now, I, with my heart problem, my liver problem, I have to stay off as much sugars as I can. And every once in a while, I'll start thinking, man, I want some ice cream. Man, I want some ice cream. Then I start feeling bad about wanting it. And then I want it even more. So what I do is I just lay it down and I don't worry about it. And I go to an other source that gives me the same satisfaction that's good for me. And I quit condemning myself. Because the moment I'll say, I can't eat ice cream, what happens? I want the ice cream. You know, the, the word diet to me is another thing that produces uh, a condemnation because we say, I'm going on a diet. Well, what is a diet? Oh, I can't eat carbohydrates. I can't eat chicken. I can't eat this. I, so uh, there's, a, there's a condemnation to that because I want to eat it. I want to eat a filet, filet mignon. I want to eat baked potato with lots of butter and lots of sour cream on it. And I want the bread and I want all that. So that, in a sense, causes self-condemnation because I feel bad because I can't quit eating that. Right, Donna? It makes you feel bad, doesn't it? So what we do is we lay all that down. 
We don't fight it. We don't worry about it. We don't go confess it all the time. But we turn and we, 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 we eat the truth, if we would. We, we eat what's good for us. And spiritually, what's good for us is the living word. And so we don't move into that dark side, if you would, of trying to condemn ourselves. So the intellect must be enlightened by contact with the divine mind. That's something that we, we should constantly think about all the time and meditate on how we have the divine mind. Divine mind. I've been watching some videos on meditation and uh, people meditate on a lot of stuff. But what, one thing I think about the most is I have the, the, the divine mind. I have the same mind of God. I have the same mind that Jesus possessed. And I have the same mind that's in all people. And how awesome that is to realize that I am in total contact with the divine mind. You know, we think about the internet. Nobody really thinks about it too much. But on the internet, you're in contact with the entire world. I can reach anybody I want on the internet. On Facebook, I reach people in Pakistan and Africa and, and Europe, all over the world. You know, not Russia much. They, I think they're locked down. But there's a lot of countries. That's awesome that I can do that. I can type in there and get any kind of uh, carnal information I want. But I'm telling you, I've got contact with a spiritual mind. The spiritual mind is the source of all things. All this science that's coming forth and great inventions and all that, it all comes from the, the divine mind of God. So to me, that's pretty awesome. And so... It may be spared from the woes brought up on us by this reaction condemnation when we know who we are. And I believe it is. When, it, when this enlightenment comes, then what takes place, there's a spirit of compassion that enters into all religious ideas and it destroys it. It makes it void. A pretty good, pretty good way of knowing if you're really tapping into your divine mind and you're living out of your spiritual being is, are you compassionate over people? And to practice compassion. Practice before you open your mouth, is this compassionate? Don't condemn yourself for it, but we need to begin to practice who I am. If I become an astronaut, I've got to practice being an astronaut. I've got to practice how to live out in outer space. I've got to know all the rules and the laws. If I'm going to dive into the ocean, I need to get somebody to instruct me and help me practice. It's not that I'm condemning myself for not being a fish, but there is a way that I can live in the water and enjoy it and spend time in the water. And that's an oxygen tank, and it's got to be mixed with the proper nitrogen and oxygen. And then when I come up, I've got to know how slow to come up. Those are rules. So we have spiritual rules of life. And if we can follow those things, then we will stop this self-condemning ourselves. And so, <clears throat> let me look at this. So what happened is this, this pharisaical intellect, if you would, was always opposing Jesus all the time and always opposing the Apostle Paul and always opposing the disciples. They were always against the spirit of truth. So again, if you've got those kind of thoughts in your head, that's what that is. They're pharisaical truths that's always opposing saying, I'm not worthy. I can't. You don't know what I did. You know, when I put that post on Facebook about being holy, I made that comment. I know some of you are saying, well, you don't know me. You don't know who I am. That's not what my preacher said. That's not what the Bible says. Well, those are opposing, opposing things to the truth of the living word. And the spirit of truth in us, the, 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 there's a lot of criticizing comforter messengers today. Every point, 
And that's what happened with the Pharisees with Jesus. And that's what happens to this Pharisaical awareness in people's minds. So those who literally interpret the scripture, those who individualize God as a physical being, are they, they are a devil as a physical being, are they localized heaven and hell, saying this is where heaven is and this is where hell is, they're the Pharisees of the present time. And we've all been there before. God, Father, is spirit. The Bible says that. God is spirit. And they who want to ascertain and seek and desire to know, Father, which is the, what the word worship means, must do so in spirit and in what? Truth. Not the lie, not the written word, not the mistranslated word. That's one of these sisters said she was reading Romans and it was very sad and it was very mean or whatever it is. When you read the letter of the word, it can be very condemning and it makes you try to you, you sit there and say, what the heck? I can't do this. All those people try to over and over and over. And you know why? They have been made insane. When you go to a place of teaching that teaches the same things over and over and over, expecting different results, that's insanity. Because when you teach the law, you're not going to change people. And all they're going to do is have a false hope that I've got a ticket to heaven Sunday because I got saved. But it's not go about going to heaven. It's realizing that I already am heaven. I'm already the boat of God. I already dwell in heaven in the heavenly realm. And so <clears throat> the Pharisees character in people causes them to love the forms, love the ceremonies and love the religions. I've had people tell me that that go to churches that do all these uh, ceremonies and certain ways of you know lighting candles they just love it and they 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 don't want to leave it they enjoy it and then i have people that have told me that i love the way we function in the charismatic church i love how we cried i love how people were slain in the spirit i love how we pray people for i love how the choir sings and all that and i know this is going to be hard for people but that has become a ceremony where we love that more than growing up and maturing in spiritual truth. Am I not right? It's the truth. And so the Pharisees and people refuse to go deep into the inward consciousness to receive with meekness the engrafted word of God that's able to rescue your soul. What do we need? See, we are a soul. What do we need to be rescued from? This mistaken identity that causes us to self-condemn ourselves. I'm not saying you can't worship God and pray, you know, lift your hands up and pray. But the true worship is in spirit. The true worship is to tap into your divine mind and learn spiritual things. The true worship is, is truth. And Jesus said, the truth will make you free, will cause you to experience your freedom. And if you will just look at the word truth, if you don't believe me, it says the not concealed word. And most of the word that we've heard most of our life was concealed with uh, wrong translations and religious belief systems. And so the, the great lie that we need to be healed from, if you would, or made free from is separateness. We see ourselves as separate from God because of the Trinity doctrine. We've seen ourselves as separate from Jesus and separate from Holy Spirit. And we are not. The Lord our God is one. And the Bible teaches over and over and over that we are one with God. Hosea said that we exist as the plural of Father. And I believe that with all my heart.
So it is the Pharisee and a person that is ambitious for temporal healings, temporal healings, for miracles, for honors to ourselves, for people to love us. That's a desire for that. It's the pharisaical thought that exalts and sustains personality. And look at me because I'm doing this or I'm doing that. I'm greater than you are. And we've seen that a lot in ministries today and for many years. So if you, uh, I'm going to read Luke 42, Luke 11, 42 through 54 in just a second. I wasn't going to, but I want to read it. We can overcome this Pharisee and Pharisaical attitude in ourselves by receiving continuously new inspiration from the original fountain of truth, which is our Father. That's within us. And how do we do that? We refuse to be bound by old, worn-out religious thoughts, old, worn-out religious teachings. Every one of us have been involved in some kind of religious system that taught us the lie, and we need to not be bound by that anymore and be willing to lay it down. And I like what it said in the, <clears throat> the book and the movie Shack when, when uh, Mac came to Papa, which represented Father, and talked about, well, what about judgment? Or, you know, you're supposed to judge the world and all that. And Papa looked at Mac and said, how's that working for you? You need to ask yourself, how is your belief system working for you? Now, I know the people that are watching me, the majority of you, have no problem with that. But I'm just saying people need to ask themselves that. And we need to start asking people that when they come back at us with some kind of religious condemnation, like God's going to judge the world. God's going to, you know, all these babies that are born, most of them are going to go to hell because they're predestined to go to hell and all that. You need to say, how is that working for you? And how's that working for the people you have to tell that to? So let's read this. Luke 11, 42-54. And Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. But woe unto you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass over judgment and the love of God. That's the judgment of God. You pass over that and the love of God. These ought you to have done and not to leave the other undone. Woe unto you, Pharisees, for you love the uppermost seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets. Now, don't be thinking of just pastors here. Be thinking about your awareness, okay? Verse 44, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are as graves which appear not, and then men that walk over them are not aware of them. Verse 45, Then answered one of the lawyers and said unto him, Master, thus... This saying, thou reproachest us also. And he said, Woe unto you also, you lawyers. These are the lawyers of the law, right? For you laid men with burdens grievous to be born, and you yourself touched not the burdens with one of your fingers. In other words, you told them they can't, but you did. Woe unto you, for you build the sepulchres of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. Truly you bear witness that you allow the deeds of your fathers, for they indeed kill them, and you build their sepulchers. Therefore also said the wisdom of God, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they shall slay and persecute, that the blood of all the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation, from the blood of Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, which perished between the altar and the temple, Verily I say unto you, it shall be required of this generation. Woe unto you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. 
That's what a pharisaical attitude does. It takes away the key of knowledge. You entered not into yourself. So they didn't enter, enter into knowledge and understanding. And then that we're entering in, you hindered. Think of that. Think of today, there's a great awakening taking place. Uh, Kay says it's the age of Aquarius. It's, it's taking place spiritually faster than we can imagine. And yet people hinder that and they condemn the comforter messengers that teach it. And then he said, these things unto them, the scribes and the Pharisees, begin to urge him vehemently and to provoke him to speak of many things, laying wait for him and seeking to catch something out of his mouth that they might accuse him. So is that not a pharisaical attitude? And Jesus was explaining that. So Jesus taught that the kingdom of God would not come in a form whereby it could be observed externally. And yet the church world is still looking for that form. The, the, the disciples were thinking that he's going to bring the kingdom right now and he's going to rule and we're going to set it aside and we're all going to rule. They thought it was a physical kingdom. And so it could, it could, be, uh, it could not be observed externally that men should not look here and there in the outer source because where's the kingdom of God? It's within you. It's an awareness that you have. So the kingdom of God or, or of heaven is one being entirely right wise with Father, knowing that they're right with Father, knowing that they're righteous. And what happens when you know that? It brings peace and perfection and it brings joy. And I don't know too many people sitting under a religious teaching that have really a lot of peace and know that they're perfect and a lot of joy, except they know that if they die, they're going to go to heaven. That's about it. But they're just enduring life right here. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is all the same thing. But the old established religious thoughts, uh, they're solely, if you would, they're, they're intellectual consciousness that's based from physical things, from physical knowledge, uh, from uh, Pharisees. They could not comprehend the inner overcoming and the establishing truth that was within them. They couldn't comprehend that. And I don't think they wanted to. I do believe that they knew that Jesus was their Messiah. I believe that personally, but they didn't want him. They didn't want to let go of the control that they have. And there again, we have preachers of denominations today and leaders of denomination that highly likely know some truths, but they don't want to go too far because they don't want to lose their people. I know preachers that know the truth about tithe. But they say, if I tell them they don't have to tithe, they'll quit giving. And I can't afford that. I've heard that said. I can't afford to tell them that they're already righteous and holy because they may not come to church. I, I've not heard them say that, but that's that mentality. If we let you comforter messengers come and teach, we may lose our congregation. Well, no, you won't because first of all, they're not yours. And we believe that there are people all over the world that are ready for these truths. I talk to them right out here in, the, in my, my world that I'm in. And I share with people at 7-Eleven, at Walmart, any place I go. And there's never been a time hard at all, maybe one or two, where people rejected what I said. When I told them that they were holy from the foundation and they were born that way. People want to hear that and they need to hear that. So as soon as a carnally mindful person attains a certain degree of intellect and understanding, then what happens sometimes is they kind of become self-righteous, they become pharisaical, and that they're inclined to think that they have to have everything right now. And so they think, well, where's my, you know, 
They, I want all the money that I could ever have. I want this, I want that, or whatever. And they think that's proof that they're demonstrating the kingdom of God in their outer life, and it's not the kingdom of God. Me having a castle and having everything I want is not the kingdom of God. Because if I have all that, but I'm not living out of who I am, then that's going to become a burden to me. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to uh, maintain it, if you would. I'm going to have to keep the money coming in so I can supply my needs. And that's not peace. That's not perfection. It's definitely not joy. So what we must do is learn to use a right, the word of truth, that is revealed to us and Father is doing that today. Now, <clears throat> those who come into the spiritual understanding and practice spiritual truth, that literally enlarges all truth, including scientific truth, they outgrow their old pharisaical belief forms and they're able to lay that down. They're able to stop worshiping those forms. They're able to stop desiring and wanting to go back to that stuff. Like the scribes, the chief priests, and the Jewish people's Pharisees, they ever sought to trap and destroy Jesus. As long as you're trying to trap and destroy a comforter messenger, you're still living out of a pharisaical system. Always trying to say, oh, they're wrong, they're wrong, or trying to prove them wrong, or trying to trap them. I've had people try to trap me. Well, you know what? I can tell when they're doing that, and I'll just say, you know what? You're asking for all the wrong reasons. Until you're ready and you want to hear the truth, I'm not willing to get into this conversation. And so the coldness and the hardness of the former religion will kill the understanding of the divine love and the wisdom if they could. And that's talked about in Luke 20, 19 to 26, and I'm not going to read that right now. But literally, so we see one who possesses the conscious awareness of this characteristic of the Pharisees is one who observes the letter of the law. And that's a lot of people today. Would you agree? And so they, I'm not calling them a Pharisee, but they have a Pharisaical awareness, a Pharisaical understanding. They lack understanding of truth. And Father wants everybody to hear the truth because the truth will cause you to experience your true freedom. Jesus made us free. I still hear people quote all the time, the truth will make you free. No, it won't, uh, it won't I mean, set you free. Jesus set us free with what Jesus taught. We should have read it and should have been set free. Once you understand it, then you're made free. In other words, you experience it. You know, Don and I lived in a, a nice house, not as nice as this house, but we lived in a nice house and it was becoming more and more of a burden for me to keep it up and maintain it. And I wanted to be set free from that. And so we bought a new home. Well, when we, when we were made free is when we moved into this home, correct? and we begin to experience this home. It's one thing to be set free where the house was sold, but we were made free when we got the home. And so you're made free when you get the understanding, when you embrace the, the, the living word, the living word of truth. <clears throat> so a Pharisee awareness, a person observes the law or the letter of the law and not the spiritual life, if you would, they lack understanding, and what they were taught and still teach produces the consequences of self-condemnation. <clears throat> Even though they, they preach the Mosaic law, Mosaic law, they preach all the do-to-bees, they cannot do it themselves. Preachers stand in pulpits and preach the law, and they know they cannot do it themselves. I have a pastor friend that sometimes I would be where he was praying, 
and I would hear him praying, constantly asking God to forgive him all the time and to deliver him. And yet he would get up and, and preach things that people couldn't follow and they couldn't do. <clears throat> so what happened is, in contrast with only two commands that Jesus, Jesus only gave us two commands, the Pharisees developed a system of 613 laws, 365 were negative commands, and 248 were positive laws. And by the time Jesus came, they had produced a heartless and a cold and an arrogant brand of righteousness. And they always added to it because the people could never, ever do what they wanted. Never. Who was it? The, their young, rich ruler that came to Jesus and said, I've done everything that the law, you know, so he thought it was the law. What must I do to enter in the kingdom of God? And Jesus knew what he was saying. So he said, if you want a law, then sell all you have and give to the poor. He couldn't do it. And he walked away. He wasn't obeying all those laws. He was deceiving himself. And Jesus knew that. So I boldly declare that if you embrace any manufactured religion and all religions, all religions, man-made religions, I'm not against the church, you know, but I'm talking about, or any people, I don't even like to say the church because that leaves people out. But if you're, if, if it's a man-manufactured religion, preachers, teachers, evangelists, as such, or other persons teaching the knowledge of good or bad, you submit your life to pharisaical teachings. I did that myself. And the consequences are dangerous because they rob you of your inward life and life more abundant. Jesus said, and I'm paraphrasing it, translating it, but Jesus said, a stiller of spiritual truth appears not but so that he or she might kill, steal, and destroy your awareness of your spiritual eternal life. However, I am here that your Zoe life your, your Zoe life be possessed by you and superabundance. Now, am I saying these people are, know what they're doing? No, they don't know what they're doing because they believe, they believe what they've been taught. They have the degrees, their master's degrees, their doctor's degrees. You know, I've got three master's degrees and a doctorate degree, and some of those courses I took were pharisaical. Some of, most of them were pretty good. But some of them were the, uh, was they were filled with the law. They were filled with the Trinity teaching that the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost is greater than us. But I'm telling you, it hinders the superabundant light that Father brought for us. And yes, Karen, it's filthy rags. And then I'm going to close here in verse 4 through 6. <clears throat> Rather than an abundant excellence of character, demeanor, and self-restraint in themselves, they chose to enter themselves in disdain and ignore the voice of their holy breath, the source that eternally supplied what pertained to spiritual and physical life and would have brought about a reversal in their decision to feed on the teaching of the knowledge of good and bad. The result was self-condemnation and ill effects. Verse 5, accordingly, because of their callousness and stubbornness, because they did not reconsider their thoughts and feelings and desires, they brought upon themselves a strong sense of self-condemnation. It was a sense. They were not condemned, but they brought a, self a sense of it. They experienced the consequences of resisting the righteous, loving instruction of protection from Father. And verse 6, which hindered every man, woman, boy, and girl according to their own choices 
and dead works. And that still goes on today. And a lot of stuff that comes from platforms or religious systems hinder every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl that's sitting under those dead works. So every minister who teaches from the knowledge of good and evil live a life of self-condemnation. They are constantly burdened with their downfalls and their mark missings. The more they teach against it, the more they're brought down. The more you hear it, the more you're brought down in your thoughts and your awarenesses. Then they fight that which condemns them and the understanding is so doing, they give it a greater power when it is not a power whatsoever. But they give that to them. That's pretty powerful. So what happens is we go and they people, and I'm not mocking it, but they, people come to church, they dress up, they go to church, they sing, they cry, they feel good. And they even hear good sermons sometimes because there's a lot of seeker-friendly churches that teach really good sermons. But still underlying in a lot of that is you have to do something to be this way. You have to do something to please God. And it wars on people. And so their so-called ticket to heaven does not bring them any peace. Because I know lots of people that have said the sinner's prayer and quote God saved, but they're not sure if they die if they'll be with the Lord. Why would they think that? Because they're dwelling on things that they haven't done that they think they should, and they're dwelling on things that they've done in their past that do not fit the character of a son or daughter of God. And that condemns people, and it's something that people, it, they, it wars with them all the time, and it doesn't bring peace. What they're doing and what they've done in their past, like I said earlier, it's the definition of insanity. And you know, there are people in mental institutions that are there because of what they were taught in our churches. Because there's some pretty tough churches out there. Most of us go to churches that are pretty nice or have, but there's some that are really condemning and really tough. So I say it again, it is insane to preach and teach the law of doing to be over and over and over and expect different results with your people. If it would work, then you would have a church that you would never have to counsel people. You would never have all the struggles that goes on in churches, but it doesn't work. I grew up in a church for 38 years, and he wasn't so much sin conscious, but the law was still taught, the law of tithing, the law of serving, the law of pleasing God, and people came there that needed change, and they never changed. In fact, some got worse. Why is that? Because the law will not fix a person. The law will not change a person. It just produces more and more condemnation. And people will outwardly disagree with what I just said, but inwardly they know it's the truth. They know it's the truth. The good news is you are not condemned. You are not unholy. You were born righteous and you're still righteous and you're still holy. And there's nothing you can do to separate yourself from the love of God. And it's not, well, God loves you, but there is no but to it. I like what Kathy said, Walker Sims, I forget her new her, her last name, but she said, what you believe comes after your but, and that's the truth. People say, well, God loves you, but you need to do this, you need to do that, or whatever, and that's not true. So as scripture says, as a person thinks in their conscious awareness, so is their life experience. My desire, my mandate is to help you change your awareness, to help. I'm not trying to correct you, and I know Kay can say this too. We're not trying to correct you, we're trying to correct your awareness. And if you'll come and feed, there's a great feast going on today. So what do we need to do? 
let's go off those teachings that produce a strong sense of condemnation and separation from Father. It's just like me. I'm not saying I can't eat this food anymore. I am not eating food that's hurting my body. I've lost 50 pounds. I have to keep it all for my heart's sake, for, my, for everything, almost 50 pounds, 45 pounds. And, but so I'm going off high, high carb carbohydrate food because I know it makes me gain weight. I know it's not good for me. I, my wife and I are going off sugar. We have probably stopped. Uh, we don't add sugar to anything. We don't add salt to anything anymore. Not because of a law, but because we know that it has hindered our lives. So we are going off of that. So if there's some teaching that's hindering you, then go off from it. I'm not telling you just to leave your church, but begin to feed on the truth because maybe you might be able to help them in the future. But there are many comforter teachers on the scene today that can help you. And thank God for the internet. Thank God for Facebook. I mean, I'm amazed at how many people are following what we're teaching in Kaysville, and they're all over the world. So it's there, it's available. We have YouTube channels that you can listen to and watch. We have uh, podcasts. I haven't updated mine in quite a while, but we have teachings on podcasts. There's all kinds of sources. We have books. We have scripts that we can send you. You know, I have a transcript club where I send transcripts of everything I teach to people that send at least $10 a month and they get it every month. If you can't afford that, just tell me you can't afford it and I'll send them to you. I'll be more than happy to message them to you on Messenger. But I'm so thankful we have this and I'm so thankful we have comforter teachers in our life and there's no reason why people can't find them. So I believe, personally, I believe there's gonna be more comforter messengers that are allowed in church buildings around the world. That's what I'm believing for. Father, cause these pastors, cause these leaders to lay down their awareness and realize that there's more. Realize that their people need more. We can't just keep living in this world system that's pretty corrupt today and let it get worse and worse and worse. Righteous-minded people need to rise up and do what they're supposed to do, and that's to, supposed to do, and that's to take dominion over this earth. And we need members that can be made free by hearing the not concealed word. Jesus talked about it. Jesus revealed it, Paul came, and they killed him. Paul was raised up to be a comforter messenger, and he came out and he explained it to the world. And, of course, it's been concealed by the wrong translations, the wrong teachings on it, but it's coming forth in a great way today, and people are beginning to hear the truth. So I appreciate you being with me today. If you came late in this, I encourage you to go back to the beginning and hear it all. Uh, I, I have a new, uh, because of my, my profile, I'm able to see people, uh, not who you are, but see how long people are staying on these messages. And some of you are missing a lot. So I encourage you to take some time and go back and hear the whole video. It, it's uh, amazing to me, and I hear this all the time. People tell me that the majority of people don't read books anymore because they're, they're, uh, they're, uh, what I'm trying to say, they're only able to spend about, read one chapter and that's it. Their attention span is about one chapter. And I'm told over and over and over that people's attention span to hear preachers is about 15 minutes. And a lot of the, a lot of the churches today are beginning to do that. Somebody called and told me, my friend Steve, there's a, a minister that, particularly after COVID, realized that most people won't listen more than 15 minutes. So he's cut a sermon down to 15 minutes. I think that's sad. I really do. 
when you can go into a movie and watch a one or two hour movie, you can watch on YouTube a one or two hour movie, but yet people can't spend one hour hearing the living word. I just don't understand that. So if that's part of your life, you, you can change it because there's so much you've been equipped with and the people in your world need to hear the truth and you need to be able to teach this truth. And we give you the resources to do that. So I just encourage you. Uh, I, I appreciate uh, every one of you that's on here that follow us and uh, feel free to share this with your friends around the world because they need to hear it. We love you very much and hope you have a great day with your family.